You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. James? It's kind of a weak applause. I mean, I'm, I'm not for me, just... I'm just, I'm just saying, you've got to have a little more energy no matter what. Whoever gets up here, have a little more energy, all right? Just put all your into it. The impact. Have an impact. So that's what we've got to do here today. Hey, James, thank you for leading this process. He's done such a great job. And for all those that are now um, part of our church council, it is so cool to be part of a great group. And we just have wonderful folks that lead and serve here. And I am really excited about that. Hey, would you give a shout out? To all the, those folks that made it possible for this parking lot to be cleared. Would you, I mean, that was just amazing. They uh, did a great job. Our team just was uh, vigilant, making sure that was taken care of. And then Canby X, uh, Canby Excavating helped us, along with Kevin Knutson, getting on one of those big machines, clearing the parking lot. So we want to thank those teams for just really helping. We have great teams here. And I, uh, I really do appreciate this. It's kind of weird today because we really haven't seen each other, I mean, all together in the last three or four weeks. Uh, so I, I might have to get reacquainted a bit. We did have some folks here last week, hardy people, hardy people. Uh, we just showed up and had a great devotion. And, and today puts you, I, you know, when you're doing a series, it does kind of put you in a weird, awkward place because I started last week and kind of gave an introduction to an introduction. And I think it went well. It was streaming on Facebook for those that saw it on Facebook. How many watched that on Facebook? I know there's there quite a few comments made. So we did it that way. And so if you saw it on Facebook or if you were here last week, there's some familiar things you're going to hear today. Uh, but we want to make sure that all of us are in the same starting block <laughs> and we're shooting out going into a new year. And if I haven't said this to you, Happy New Year. Uh, it's, uh, it's really good to see you. It's so good to see you. Hey, listen, do this with me. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to look at Philippians. That's really where we're headed. That's where we're going. If you have an outline, uh, pull it out, and you can follow along with me. You can take some notes. You can grab those outlines on the back tables when you walk in. You can see that we're doing something a little different. We have one newsletter every month, so you can get that. It kind of tells you the big things that are going on. And then we also have a sheet for you to take notes. So we want you to do that. Hope that works for you. So before I get any further into the message, I don't know. I don't think we've told people individually this, but we've not made a church announcement. And so we're going to do it right now. Annette and I will have our sixth grandchild in May. And so we have a, we have a new grandbaby coming. Uh, so we're excited about that. Ryan and Jesse and little Stevie are going to be welcoming a new baby into their home in May. So uh, it's, a good, it's fun, you know? It's just a lot of fun. And so we're excited. We thought we'd let you, we'd let you know that. So how many were able to watch the, uh, the uh, Facebook streaming? Okay, good. I just want to know, just to kind of get an idea where we're at. We're starting a brand new series today, and it's called Impact. Actually, we started it last week, but we're giving it a full shot this week. And for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a close look at the book of Philippians. And what I said last week really still holds true. I was studying the book of Philippians. I was just going over it and realizing how much I love those four chapters. I mean, how much I really love what it says in the book of Philippians. And the thought occurred to me, and I, and I know the whole Bible is so valuable to us, but if, 
If I could only grab one book out of 66 books in the Bible, which would it be? It would be the book of Philippians. And you might be thinking the same thing. Well, what would your book be? I think last week we had people say the book of John, Psalms, uh, Isaiah. And, and, And just process that and think about the book you would choose and why you would choose it. Because oftentimes, most of the time, it has to do with what we have gone through in life where that book or that scripture or those passages have been very, very dear to us. And I think the book of Philippians has been one of those books for me. And I've been excited about studying the book of Philippians. And, and really for me, the reason why is it gives me a plumb line to follow every single day. And what I've drawn out of that, I've taken out of that, is just how do I live every day? Number one, I exalt Jesus. Uh, number two, I love people. And number three, uh, I want to have fun or joy doing it. (laughs) And now we've heard all the book of Philippians. You can pack it up and go home. All right, that's it. But for me, that's how I live. I want to make sure that I have some simple things that I can walk away with. And that's what Philippians does for me. It really gives me a way that I can live my life. And there are a few reasons why I love Philippians. Number one is because, again, it exalts Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the way that Jesus is exalted in the book of Philippians is different in in some of the other books. Uh, Not wrong or right, it's right. (laughs) It's not good or bad, it's just different. And for me, I love the way that Philippians is describing the coming king, the Lord of lords. And we read about it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, who being in very nature God, that's Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, not just any death, not just any death, but even the death of the cross. That is the journey that God took to get to you. That's the journey he took to get to me. It's amazing. Fully God in flesh. And that scripture is so impactful to me because what it says there is it says that his, he, he, he dwelt in a flesh body, that he resided in a tent or a house of flesh, that God did that for us, that he did that for me. The second reason I really love the book of Philippians, and uh, you've heard it kind of implied here today, is because the church of Philippi reminds me of you. It really does. It reminds me of this church, of the church in Canby, of New Life. And uh, I, I think about uh, the, the journey we've been on for, golly, I've been part of it for 28 years. And I think about the investment that you have made in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul does in this wonderful church is he, he, he extols them. He, he tells them, listen, you guys have been so wonderful to partner with in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He even goes so far in some of the Greek words, you can put them around, move them around a little bit and see them. But it means we have the, he says in some ways we have the same DNA. You know, we're alike. We have the same partnership. He says that in verses three through five, chapter one. He says, I, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, I, I think that's a remarkable resume 
that, that what he's saying here is you've kept your mind and your focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have partnered together. This is your resume. You're, you're known for this. This is your legacy. And if there be any legacy that I think we would be known for, that this church would be known for, is that you've partnered around the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that's what you've done. And you've done it with great generosity. In fact, Paul in chapter 4 talks about the generosity of these wonderful people. They're not well-off people. Uh, a few were. Uh, but but in, in, in whole, they weren't really well-off people. They weren't wealthy people. Uh, the church of Colossia was a little more wealthy. In the Lycus Valley, there was a little more wealth there. This church is a little different. But what they did is they joined hands and joined hearts to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third reason I love uh, the book of Philippians is because... The Christology of Jesus, that's just the study of Jesus, his nature, who he is. The Christology of Jesus is clearly in the context of relationship. And he talks about all these wonderful things about Jesus Christ. And really one of the greatest apologetics for the Christology of Jesus is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. But he does this in a way that says we're in relationship with him. It's not just an apologetic, it's just not a theology or a doctrine being taught, but what Paul is talking about here is he's saying, man, I am so thankful and so full of joy, great joy, about my relationship and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he talks about what Jesus Christ is to him and who he is to all of us. So for those three reasons, uh, I love the book of Philippians. Uh, and I hope that you find something there similar and familiar for you as well. I think one of the most remarkable things about this book um, to the Philippians is the word joy. We've talked about this before, but the word joy is mentioned 16 times. That doesn't count rejoice, it just is the word joy. And it's mentioned 16 times in just four chapters, which, by the way, is one-third, almost one-third of the word joy mentioned in the whole New Testament. So it's found in the book of Philippians, if that makes sense to you, see? Now, the word Christ is mentioned 50 times in the book of Philippians. So what, what's it say here? I think this is what's amazing to me, is we find our only joy, our true joy, deep joy, is only found in Christ. And Paul marries those together. He brings that together. He says, I, I have such joy because of Christ Jesus. And I can tell you about my joy because of Christ Jesus. So if you want to put a, a, a title on the book of Philippians or a subtitle, I would say this. The book of Philippians is the book of joy or the theology of joy. It goes deep into why we should be joyful, uh, Jesus Christ being the center of that joy. So why is this remarkable? I mean, on the surface, given the circumstances of this book, where it was written, how it was written, who it was written to, why is joy so remarkable here? Well, for me, I look at this, you have to consider where it was written. It was written in a Roman prison 10 to 15 years after the church had been planted. So Paul planted this church 10 to 15 years prior to the letter to the Philippians, and he's writing this from a prison. Okay, So you have to put yourself there. Don't skip over that. Put yourself in a hard, difficult place. And he writes this thesis on joy. He writes it to a church he's very joyful about, but you have to be reminded that he spent a lot of his time in prison in Philippi. So he's writing from a prison to a place he spent a lot of time in prison, and he's saying, wow, I'm so full of joy 
I'm so full of joy. And he brought joy to this wonderful community. And you see it. The story or the account of the Philippian church being planted is found in Acts chapter 16. And we'll bounce back and forth from Acts chapter 16 over the course of the study. But it's in Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to give you kind of a culmination of what happened there. He's in prison. Bottom line, we'll go over this in just a moment. But they're, 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 they're there in prison. Midnight, Paul and Silas are doing what? Been beaten? Okay, say it again. They're singing. And and it's not 99 bottles of beer on the wall. It's not like, woe is me. It's not the blues. What they're doing is they're singing hymns. So that's why I believe and I love uh, to study the Psalms with with Philippians. I love that. I love that study. So they're singing in the middle of the night, messing with the guys on the right and the left of them. And then what happens, it says this, it says in verse 25 of chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So here it is. I'm going to give you the bottom line. We'll unwrap this a little more down the road, but here's the bottom line. You were born to have impact. So that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however, uh, how, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your economic status, it doesn't matter your educational uh, levels of, of, of learning, you are born to have impact. And if there's one thing that I can get across to you, one thing the book of Philippians continues to tell us is that we were born to have impact. We were born to have impact for Jesus Christ. That God has created you to worship him with joy and have an impact on the world that you live in. Last week I talked to you about something we do every year, and we love it. We, Annette and I pray a month before Christmas. We pray over our, each one of our kids, our kids and our grandkids, and we ask God to give us a word for them. We really, we do, and we think about it. We write notes, and we think about Scripture uh, that, that would be so encouraging to them and we believe that our children, uh, early on, they're born to have impact. And literally, when I say you're born to have impact, you are literally born, birthed to have impact. From your mother's womb, God has said, I've called you to have impact in the world that you're part of. And we believe that in our home. We embrace that. And we want, uh, we want to encourage you that way. This is what I did. Um, my, my mother uh, videoed this. This is one of the words given to my youngest grandchild. We want to show it to you if we can do that right now. Let's, let's watch this just for a second. See, the Bible sets the bar high, doesn't it? The Bible says about each one of us that you have impact in the world that you 
are part of. And this is what we want to do. We want to continue to pray that God would increase that awareness of his Holy Spirit working and alive in your life so that you can have that kind of impact. And that you would, as a leader in your home or your community, that you would share the word of God boldly with those around you. That you would do that. You know, you can share the word of God with those that are uh, non-believers. You don't have to use the King James Version. But you can share the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that people understand it, in a way that brings encouragement to people's lives. And so we want to do that. That's what we see this book being about. So here's what Paul says about his impact to the world. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, he recognized that he was called. He recognized that he was made, created by God to have impact. He was called, and this is, if you, if, I guess if he had a, a mission statement or what he did was he was called to plant and pastor churches. So the question I want to ask you is what is your, your call uh, around the gospel of Jesus Christ? All of us will have it maybe put differently or said differently, but it certainly is around that mission of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's around a mission of the Great Commission. And, and for you to be able to think about that, to write that out, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I would just, maybe you, know, maybe you hate homework, but I'm going to give you a little bit right now. Take that and think about what is your mission. And don't be ashamed or afraid to say it or write it. Please, put that down. I think when, when I talk about my mission, it's real simple. We use it here a lot. I've been put on this planet. I've been created to help make disciples who make disciples. That, that's, that's my call. That's why I'm here. That, that's what I'm looking at. That's what I want to do every day that I'm alive. I'm thinking about this more than I'm thinking about anything else. Is God, how do you want to keep using me? How do you want me to help others become disciples who are disciples of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? And every day I'm excited because it's like a treasure hunt and there's usually something different every day, uh, someone I can cross paths with that I can share the hope of Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul does on a second missionary journey. He plants the first church on European soil. It's, it's in Philippi. It's the, the, church, the book that we're reading. That's the first church planted on European soil. So there it is. You can look at it. We'll circle it. I think we got a circle for you. Philippi is right there. And so we want you to see that. It is a, it's, a, it's a remarkable place. It was a hub. It was a hub for Roman, uh, the Roman Empire for commerce. A lot of things took place there because it was not too far from a major harbor there. And uh, it got started in Philippi. This church got started. So let me read to you. Just the beginnings of how it got started in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about this, said, no, I don't want you to go to Asia. Uh, I don't want you to go there. So he put a hold on that. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go there either. So they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas, it's on the ocean, a beach, resort area. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come here. 
Help us here. And after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia at the time was a lot larger than it is today. We'll go back to that. It's, it was that whole region, Philippi and West was, was Macedonia. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, this was an incredible opportunity that Paul was given. So here's what we learned. Let me give you a couple things to think about. Number one, this was a journey guided by God's sovereignty. Uh, you can fill that in on your blank if you'd like to on your paper. This was a journey guided by God's sovereignty. Now, what sovereignty means, what God's sovereignty means is this. It means God's will, God's way. Hear that. <laughs> means God's will, God's way. So how many of you have great plans for God? I mean, you got, you got great plans for God? Yeah. yeah you, got, you, got a, man, you got a daytimer planned out. You got a, a year planned out for God. And what you want God to do for you. You have God's next moves charted out for him. Listen, that's not Christianity. That's consumerism. Which borders on narcissism. That's what that is. When you draft a plan for God, what you're saying is, I'm sovereign, you're not, God. I'm the sovereign over my life. That's not Christianity. Christianity is this. It's understanding that God has a great plan for you. That God is the authority in your life. That God decided to send Paul, not east, but west into Europe. And aren't you thankful for that today? I am so thankful that he made that decision. And the reason why, if you connect the dots, you're here because of the church of Philippi. Uh, For most of us, we're Europeans, I think, or at least come from European descent. That's where the gospel got started, on European soil in Philippi. So we are here because of the faithfulness and the obedience and of God's sovereignty to plant that church in Philippi. God decided to do this through the Apostle Paul. Uh, through the Apostle Paul. It, it's like a, a, a spiritual meteorite. That's the way that I picture this. And that's why I came up, I think, with this word impact. I just see the Apostle Paul going into Philippi. And I've, I've taken the journey from where he harbored up into Philippi. It was like this meteorite. This gospel meteor hits this area and there's this explosion that takes place from that place and goes all over Europe and into this nation down the road, obviously, and around the world because of what's happened here. There's this huge impact in this town, this city called Philippi. So what is the application in my life? I mean, how do I apply this? How do I follow God and his sovereign plan? Well, here are a few things, a few ideas, pointers that you at least see from the Apostle Paul here in Acts chapter 16. Number one is this. If God shuts a door, move on. All right? Verse 7. He said, I I kept going until God opened the door, but he shut a few doors. So what do we usually do? What do I usually do? (laughs) Um, uh, Wine. Maybe that's that's a good... God, that's the door I thought I was going to. I thought that's the door you had for me. And usually what we do is we stop and we whine. And what I'm going to say here is really uh, highly theological. Don't stop and no whining. All right? Uh, My son says to his kids, uh, uh, whiners or wieners or wieners or whiners or something, you know. He he just makes sure, and we want to make sure that we don't do that. Uh, Listen, we move on. We knock on the next door. And I think for a lot of us, we need to learn that lesson of persistence and endurance. That's what the gospel is about. It's knocking on the next door. Now, you've all had this. If you're parents, you've had your kids come to you and say, and they, they, you know, they all stand in front of you. Um, 
and they have a smile on their face, and you know they want something. I mean, right then. They still do that, and I know they want something, you know. And so they ask, Dad, will you, will you do us a favor? You know, and right then, my, my response is always this, yes, provided that the answer no is option, that, that I have an option to say no. And they go, oh. And they just walk away, because, you know, they, they didn't want to hear that. But that's kind of the way it is with our kids, isn't it? And so whenever we're, we're in a relationship, which we, we, we love this relationship we have with Jesus, we, we know that doors open, we know the doors shut, we know that one answer that God will give us is the answer no. And that's what he does, does here uh, in, in Paul and his team. Now, here's another one. Here is another way to follow God. If God gives a vision, then obey it. If God gives instruction and he gives a, a vision, obey it. Paul heard from God and he obeyed it once. Uh, and I'm not sure, it doesn't tell us here, but I'm thinking when God called him into Macedonia, he might even had a few thoughts of his forefathers and foremothers who had gone before him that were given a word or a vision, and it says, and they obeyed immediately. Because that's what it says here. It says Paul left immediately for Macedonia when he heard that's where he was supposed to go. I think of Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham being told by God to sacrifice Isaac, your only son, upon an altar. And it says the sun wasn't really even up yet. It says that he packed his donkey, took his servant, got Isaac, and they left and obeyed God immediately. This is one of the keys in following the Lord. And I say this, the bigger the call or the task, the quicker we need to respond. Why? Because you'll talk yourself out of it. I mean, try to explain that you're taking your son, your only son, to mom, and you're going to go sacrifice him. I mean, that's, 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 that's a lot of explaining to do right there. But what does he do? He goes up, and Abraham responds immediately. I think that Paul understands the urgency here. He's not going to wait. He's eager to follow the plans of God. So he gets up, and he heads out, and he does this quickly, eagerly. Here's something that I've learned. God does not negotiate. So when, he, when, he, when he's giving you direction, there's not a lot of negotiation that goes on here. God does not, listen, I love this. God does not choose the best leaders. Sometimes, well, oh, that's a great leader. God doesn't choose the best leaders. You know who he chooses? God chooses the best followers. Because he knows the best followers can be the best leaders. God chooses the best followers. And that's what I, I want to focus on is being that follower of Jesus Christ. So here's the third thing. If God opens the door, help others. That's what happens here, isn't it? Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's what's being said here. I, I think this is incredible because we have such a connection to this story that, that I, I wouldn't even imagine we would have to this story. Where is God calling uh, the Apostle Paul and his team. He's calling them to Macedonia. He's saying, I want you to come to Macedonia and help us. I think this is once again so remarkable of who you are. We literally, you in this place, us, we've been called to help in Macedonia. Did you know that? Albania is part of old Macedonia. And so when I think about going to Albania, it is the old part of Macedonia. And you have literally been called as a church to help Macedonians. So you, this, it's a very similar thing that's going on here. We have a group of folks that are there right now. I think we might, do we have their picture? Come over and help. They're there. That's the team that you have helped assemble. When Sean Mason was here uh, in August, you had given a gift 
your gift was $22,000 to go back with them. There's two or three new members on that team that can be on that team because you have helped financially support them so they can reach the youth of Korcha and the outlying villages, which are moderately Muslim. They're starting Bible studies all around Korcha right now because there's someone in Macedonia saying, come help us. This team right here is saying, come help us. And you're helping them. You're responding just like the Apostle Paul responded. You're saying, wow, that's a big response for, by the way, for one offering. To say, we want to help these folks that are calling us to help them in Macedonia. And so this next fall, this coming fall, Annette and I are planning another trip to go to Macedonia. We want to go there. We want to continue to help and multiply leaders, make disciples who make disciples. Sean and Vita are saying, we want that. Help us. Teach us. And so I'm going to be talking with them on a regular basis. We're going to FaceTime. We're going to do some Facebook streaming like you saw last week uh, and and teaching some things to this group of leaders. These are great people. I've met a lot of these leaders. Uh, In fact, uh, uh, several of those, Sean has led personally to Jesus Christ. They've now become part of that team. These are Macedonian people that have asked us to help. And so, can you, can you get excited about that? I can. I mean, man, there's a, just a great connection there. So here it is. Um, this was not only a journey guided by God's sovereignty. It was also, listen, I want you to hear this. It was also a church birthed on variety. It was a church birthed on variety. <clears throat> listen to Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. It says, from Troas, remember that's where he got the vision, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samanthras, and the next day we went to Neapolis. I'll show you the, the harbor in just a moment of where this is. From there we traveled to Philippi, Roman, a Roman colony and leading city in that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. They're always looking for synagogues. That's what they were always looking for. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized and she invited us to her home. And she says this, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Where did the church start? Right there in Lydia's home. This is amazing. This is amazing because they go into this harbor here this is where they went, and just oh, eight, six or eight miles up that hill outside of that harbor is Philippi, the metropolis of Philippi. It's remarkable. To me, this is amazing because the gospel was impacting, we'll see this, three different nationalities and three different, on three different levels of society. First, there was Lydia, who we're reading about here, and she was an Asiatic woman, wonderful woman. She ran her own business and was extremely successful. So here is an upper middle class woman who runs her own business, extremely successful. Here's the gospel. The gospel changes her life, and she becomes, in essence, the first bishop of the church in Philippi. Incredible. This is amazing. So this is what I want to do. I'm speaking to all you Lydia's out there. 
Listen, God has given you resources. He's given you creativity. He's given you intelligence. He's given you ingenuity. He's allowed you to be a person of means. Use those means to propel the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just for your own business or your own family. It's all wonderful. But use those means, those gifts that you have been given as a businesswoman, as someone who really looks into the world, you know what you're about, you know who you are, you know what God has called you to do, use those means to let your legacy be one like Lydia's. We're talking about her today, by the way. This is incredible. I'm married to a Lydia. So I, I, a leader. I'm married to someone who's a leader, who's a pioneer, who's a lover of Jesus. This is who Lydia is. And then when you go down, I'm not going to read it all, but when you read verses 16 through 34, I'm going to give you a little homework. You have to read there. There's this wonderful story, and I'm going to tell you the story. There was a slave girl, and she was in the center of town. She was a native Greek. She was subhuman in people's eyes. She's following the Apostle Paul and his team around, and she's shouting different things at them. Paul gets tired of it. I think several days went by. He gets tired of it, and he says, You need to come out, you demonic spirit of this little girl. The problem with that is there were some folks that owned this slave that they made their profit and they're living their money off the fact that this demonic spirit could forecast the future. The demonic spirit gone, forecasting the future gone, enterprise gone. The, the riot that takes place is not a riot out of ideology. The riot that takes place in this chapter that you go on and read has everything to do with greed and money. That's what it does. My money's gone. I'm going to cause somebody problems. I don't like this Apostle Paul. He's really messed us up. He's taken my source of income away. You want to see people get really riled up. You deal with that. You're seeing it today. Rightfully so. It's a sensitive area. But what happens here is she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That the gospel absolutely changes her. And because of this riot and because of what was going on there, what do they do? They take Paul and Silas and they throw Paul and Silas in prison. One that you've seen already. Uh, I showed you that prison. I was there looking at it. It's not pretty. He was thrown in that prison. He's beginning to sing songs at midnight. An earthquake hits. The gates open. The jailer is going, oh no, I am in deep trouble because I have to pay my life for their life. If they get out, I'm dead. That was the rule of Roman governance. So the, the doors open and, and Paul says, everyone stay. Don't leave. Don't go. And this guy looks up and he goes, he's about ready to fall on his sword. And Paul says, don't do that. And the man looks at him and says, what must I do to be saved? Probably one of the most profound, simple questions in the whole Bible. What is it? What must I do to be saved? I've been hearing you guys singing. I've been hearing you preaching. I've been hearing what's going on. I want part of this. I want in on the action. What must I do to be saved? Paul shouts out, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. One of the best answers. So any of you that thinks it's really complicated, that's it right there. What must I do to be saved? You need a heart asking that, and you need someone to respond and hear, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It says the jailer was saved and all of his family. (laughs) So what do you have? You have a church, all right. This church is coming together nicely now, isn't it? I mean, you got a former demoniac, you got a really great businesswoman, and you got now a, a jailer. 
So you have all this happening. How did these people come to Jesus Christ? What was Paul's interaction in each one of them? Well, three different nationalities, three different levels of society, and three different conversion experiences. I love this. There's only one way to the Father in heaven. Do you know how to get there? Through Jesus Christ. But many of you have different stories of how you came to Jesus. (laughs) Or how Jesus came to you. This is what's happening right here. Lydia and Paul meet down by the riverside (laughs) during a time of prayer. And it says that Lydia opened up her heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul runs into someone, uh, uh, you know, unlike Lydia. It's a slave girl. And then that leads to a jailer. So what do you have? You have now a slave. You, You have a jailer. You have a slave, a former slave, and you have this woman. What's happening when they meet together? Can you imagine? You think some of your life groups are awkward? Well, I really don't know those people. They're really not like me. Well, thank God. You know, I mean, really, thank God. These people could actually say it. You know, we have so many groups, and I get it. We have a lot of groups around affinity. My affinity my affinity's children, or it's retirement, or it's motorcycles, or whatever. I love it. It's great. <laughs> These people didn't gather around affinity. They gathered around Jesus Christ. Because you have three groups of people that have nothing in common. Nothing. Can you imagine? You go, <laughs> Can you imagine meeting at Lydia's house, the slave girl coming up? She's got to find the code because it's a gated community. She's got to figure out, how do I get here? I don't even know the code to the gated community. I don't even know how to act. I don't even know what to say. I'm a slave girl, and I'm going into this woman's house who is a woman of means. Not sure what I do. But this courage of Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, leads her into this living room, and they start this church in Philippi. Now you know why I'm excited about this church? Why I love this church? This is incredible. There are three different conversion experiences, a businesswoman by the river, a slave girl, and a jailer. No matter who you are or where you are, here's the lesson. God will get you. So if you're trying to hide out, it's not going to work. God will get you. He will find you. And here's something else. Think about those people again and their families coming together uh, in that life group. It probably was incredible, probably amazing. And you know what I I love? This is what I love, and I'm going to finish with this. I I love the fact that they were different nationalities, different backgrounds, different conversion experiences, but one Jesus Christ. The main thing is the main thing. It's Jesus Christ. So whenever you're looking around the world that you're in or the culture that you're part of, and you're seeing all the things that are going on, the thing that we need to remember and keep in mind is Jesus Christ is the main thing, and we're keeping him the main thing. It's nothing else. This is what this is about. It's one Jesus, one God, one Lord. Isn't that what church should be about? It's what we want it to be about, and that's what we're doing here, and that's what we want to continue to do. My encouragement as we go into this new year is you would exalt Jesus, main thing, the main thing, you would love people and like them. Okay, work, work at that. All right, so some of you are going, oh, I love everyone. Do you like everyone? Nope. But you work at that. And then enjoy it. Have fun doing it. Have joy doing this. 
because God has called us to this. This whole book, as I said, I conclude where I begin. This is a book of joy. Chapter 1, joy in the living Christ. Chapter 2 is joy in imitating Christ. Chapter 3 is joy in the knowing Christ. And chapter 4 is joy in trusting Christ. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we just thank you that you have gathered us here together today. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that's why I'm so uh, appreciative and in love with the book of Philippians is because that's what you teach us through this book. There's no better book, I think, to use as a springboard as we go in to this brand new year. Lord, touch each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.